Okay. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Let's Break It Down. And uh, today we have a very special guest, um, Rachel Olney. So for those of you who don't know her, she's the founder and CEO of Geospatial. Rachel has come on today to talk to us about her company, her goals, and pretty much everything her. So we really hope that she will um, help us out and give us some really good advice. So, um, so the way we know her, the way I guess we found out about her is um, through my brother's Zoom. And I think it's really interesting. Um, everything about Geospatial, it's not something that I really know much about. And I don't think Sanvi or, uh, or um, pretty much any of our listeners are going to be super well versed on it. So I'd really like if you could, uh, if Rachel, if you could tell us a little bit about what is Geospatial. Yeah, so I run a, a software company called Geosite and we're a geospatial software. Um, my company was started about three years ago um, and we can get into that whole backstory. Um, but geospatial data is any sort of data that has location as part of the metadata or the data that identifies that information. So you can imagine satellite imagery, you can imagine drone imagery, um, GPS data is a good example of geospatial data. But even when your phone takes a picture, it tags where on earth that photo was taken. So even photos that you're taking are technically geospatial data. Um, and over the last you know, five to 10 years, there's been this massive increase in spatial data. Um, so what our company does is we pull in all that spatial data and then we put it in non-technical applications. So for instance, search and rescue in the US. So if a hiker gets lost or a plane goes down, our software is the software that the search and rescue coordinators use to see what's going on um, and actually coordinate things. You can picture like, uh, you know, on Mission Impossible where they have the map up and it has all the stuff on it. That sort of stuff was totally science fiction five years ago. Um, and so our company, you know, offers that kind of software. Oh, wow, that's really interesting. So how'd you get the idea for this company since it seems so like unique? Yeah, that's a really good question. So my background is not in geospatial engineering or geospatial sciences. Um, you know, our chief scientist, his PhD is in geography, right? Like he studied these sorts of things, but I'm actually a mix of mechanical engineer and organizational theorist. Um, so the way that I ended up starting this company was I was teaching technology and national security, the, the course that, you know, you caught your brother's Zoom on. You're like, why are there bright pink slides that say space is a domain of warfare? So I was helping translate between national security and tech, and that opened up a bunch of doors. And so I was working with all of our most elite special operations teams, um, as well as a bunch of folks in the Pentagon. And I was looking at what are the major problems people are having with technology and very open to ideas about, you know, what are the biggest problems. And so I saw that people were really struggling to bring together spatial data because all the software was built for technical experts, not for, you know, you guys or I to interact with. And so we wanted to create software that made it easy to work with this data that historically had been really hard to access. That's, that's really cool. I mean, like I, we always hear about how like entrepreneurs, they like they saw an issue in like the current system, they tried to fix it. But like, d could you break down any like advice maybe like when we see a lot of women or people in general who want to start companies, they want to be entrepreneurs, but they don't really know like where to start, like really what to do, because otherwise you're going to have to search for a problem, right? So do you have any advice on that? Yeah, I think 
there are, so there's a couple pieces of advice here. And one of them has nothing to do with the company. So the first one, and this was something that, you know, it took me until I was well into college to really figure out, which, which was, what are your actual superpowers? Like as a person, what are the things that you are actually genuinely just better at for one reason or another than other people? And it can be anything. For me, one of those superpowers is I'm really good at wrangling people in bureaucracies and dealing with politics. Like here's this mechanical engineer who's like, I people well, you know, this is a superpower of mine. I can sit in a meeting and there's generals and you know, all these high level government folks and everybody's talking past each other. Nobody's getting anything done. And I found that even, you know, when I was early in my college career, I was able to kind of pause the meeting and be like, okay, this person is saying this, this person is saying this, this person is saying this. The root cause of all the things we're talking about is this. So maybe, you know, here's the, the common thing that we can agree on and like, let's actually work on that first. And then we can get to these other things down the road once we have more information. And I realized that people wrangling was not a normal skill. And, you know, it, there's something different in my brain where I don't get intimidated in those situations. And so I realized this is a specific superpower, right? For other folks, it might be, you know, another female CEO I know, she's just radically brilliant. She can hear just a few things about a technology. She can relate it back to the theory and she can tell you, you know, within five minutes what's feasible and what's not. And she's extraordinarily smart. Um, and so different people have different skill sets. And so for me, when I was finishing my PhD, I did a lot of reflection about what am I, like, what are my superpowers? And then the second piece is, what are the things I actually love and enjoy? Um, because I think that if you pick things to work on that you deeply care about, you will naturally trend towards working harder on them and being better at them than everybody else, right? So you look at these people in these careers that are, you know, think of like Venus and Serena, right? Like they freaking love tennis. Or you look at, you know, I always point to her because she's a fantastic businesswoman, Taylor Swift, freaking loves music, right? These people who end up being at the top of their field, they're almost obsessed. So the first is, what are the things you're really good at? The second is, what are the things that I'm obsessed with enough to think about day in, day out? And then the third one is, what do I like doing day to day? Is it interacting with more people? Is it being able to sit down and focus and not have people bother me? What is that balance? And then once you have those three, then you can start to say, okay, here's the things I'm really good at. Here's what I want to do. Here's what I want day to day to look like. And then I kind of picked companies that I knew sat in that, you know, that space. I wanted to wrangle really large bureaucracies, right? Our biggest customers are, you know, massive, massive, massive companies. Um, one of our customers is one of the world's largest insurance companies or the Department of Defense, right? And so I picked a company that would match my specialty. Um, and then you go look for problems there. And so I think that's one way of looking at it is um, really doing that, that soul searching homework first uh, and then using that to help drive you forward. Well, it's really inspiring hearing about how you were able to find your own superpowers and hearing like how you're able to start your business. So what would you say is like the most challenging part of starting your own business? Oh my gosh. Um, actually telling people you're gonna do it. 
I remember in the very, very, very first days, there was a lot of trepidation about, am I really doing this? Am, am I doing this? And then one day I was having coffee with someone and I just said it, I'm starting a company that's doing this thing. And I was like, oh no, now I actually have to do it. I told someone, right? And then you start telling more and more and more people. And I think you can, it's, it's a double-edged sword, right? You think about peer pressure is a double-edged sword. You can have peer pressure to actually get out and exercise every day. You can have peer pressure to like not to study first tests, right? Like you can have good and bad peer pressure. Um, and so for me, I surrounded myself with people who I knew would provide good peer pressure. So people who really wanted to encourage me and push me, those were the first ones that I told, hey, I think I'm gonna do this thing. And then it became, hey, I'm going to do this thing. And then they could ask me, oh, how's that thing going? And I'd be like, ah, uh, I've made progress. Um, you know, and you kind of create your own crew of people to help push you forward. Um, that's the very earliest stages. And then when you realize once you've done that is actually telling people about this dream you have, then they can actually help you. Uh, that takes a while to, to really grasp. So I think in the early days, the hardest part is like starting that snowball, right? So, and once you get it going, then people are like, oh, you're doing this thing. That's really interesting. I want to help you. And then you start to pick up that momentum. Um, in the later stages of running a company, the challenges change. Um, I like to say my job changes every six months at least. Yeah, I mean, like, I definitely understand what you're saying. I think like, even with this podcast, honestly, it's definitely intimidating to do something that you don't see everyone doing because you know you don't you don't have any like reference you don't have people who are doing the exact same thing who you can just copy so when you once you say it and once you tell other people you're kind of like forced to do it and yep. that i mean it's peer pressure but it's good peer pressure you know like because you have to do it now so yeah you know, i think that first leap that's really hard making as they say the jump of faith or whatever yeah i think yeah. after you do that i feel like it gets a little bit easier it depends on the definition of easier. You're now doing it. The challenges change. <laughs> but if it was easy, we'd be bored, right? Exactly. Yeah. If it was easy, I wouldn't do it. So, <laughs> so um, with that, and obviously relating back to your fuchsia slides, I wanted to ask you, um, do you face any like struggles or I guess, how do you feel like as a woman in STEM, do you have to do anything out of your way or do you kind of feel some kind of, you know, anything about that? Because I think that's an interesting topic. Yeah, so I think there have been many parts of my career that have been fundamentally different because I'm a woman, or rather in my field, honestly, just not a white man, because that's most of the people in my in my fields. Um, you know, I was really lucky to go to Stanford for all of my degrees, um, and they really make a conscious effort to try to have an inclusive environment, to try to have diverse student sets. But even then, in the engineering department, of course, you know, there are far fewer women than there are men. Um, what's interesting is you kind of stop noticing after a while, which is really sad. Um, it's good because it means you're not constantly self-conscious about it, but at least in school, I started to lose sight of the fact that, oh, there's only three women in the room and there's 20 men that just felt normal. Um, and, you know, when I would show up to a meeting and there would be another woman in the meeting, I'd be so excited. 
about, I'd be like, there's another woman here. We're going to be best friends immediately. Um, and that has always been my stance uh, and still is. I'm completely ride or die with all female entrepreneurs I come across, all female engineers I come across. I'm like, I will do anything you need. What do you need help with? Um, and I think that camaraderie is, is also helpful. I think, you know, I like to, it's a very uncomfortable position for me, but I like to not subdue how girly or feminine I am. Um, I love wearing floral dresses. I'll curl my hair and like, I am just very, very, very girly. That's just my personality. And for instance, I go back and I listen to these podcasts and I hear my voice and I cringe because I'll sit there thinking, oh my gosh, who is this Valley girl? You know, she's, you know, it does, it doesn't sound as assertive as I can be, you know, all of these things, but it's totally who I am. And, um, I remember there was this day I was walking down the street. We had just opened our first office for my company and it was a beautiful summer day here in Palo Alto. So it was like 80 degrees out and nice. And I'm wearing this like red floral dress, like sundress, very, very, very girly. I'm like walking down the street. I'm like, yeah, I'm doing it. I have my startup. I have my first five employees. We have funding. We have an office. Like, this is so exciting. And I saw myself, the reflection of myself in a window. And I had this sudden, just, it felt like I like hit a wall. Like, I don't look like a CEO. Can I walk in my office in this sundress? I'm not meeting this bar, right? Or this, this expectation of me um, to look like a CEO. Cause somehow in my head, there's a, what a CEO looks like, right? That we all have ingrained in us. And it's not, you know, a blonde chick, you know, sipping a Starbucks in a floral dress, right? Like, and it's a tech company, right? And and it's this very interesting dichotomy, dichotomy where you're having these kind of identity crises that are imposed not by your own thoughts of yourself, but by a self-consciousness of how other people will perceive you. Um, but I decided in that moment, I was like, okay, instead of changing how I dress, I'm just gonna help lead the charge on the fact that like being a tech CEO can mean you wear floral dresses and cute, you know, heels. That's fine. And that has paid dividends later on. Our team is much bigger now. And we have this data scientist and she came to me and she said, you know, I worked at JPL for, you know, a really long time. And I've worked in all these engineering roles and I've never felt like I could just be myself. She was like, but at this company, here's this leader who everybody respects who is super girly. She was like, and I feel like I could actually wear dresses to work. And I was like, yay, we're winning. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, I've been very fortunate that I think we've, we've gotten by unscathed. Of course, 97% of funding, uh, venture funding goes to men, um, to male led companies, only 3% goes to female led companies. So there's obviously a huge, 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 huge gender disparity there. Um, but yeah, it's been a it's been an interesting ride. Yeah, I mean, I I heard what you were saying about um like the whole draft like sipping a Starbucks. I feel like we all have this mental image that like a CEO is supposed to be like a man who like comes out of a limo with like sunglasses yeah. on, wearing a suit or yeah. at least at least like a blazer or something. 
And I'm like, or even the female CEOs we see depicted in media, they're wearing like very chic, very like, I don't know, cold, very, I don't know what, not, not like a hibiscus print dress, you know, it's, it's not what they're wearing. Like they're not allowed to like be normal people or just, you know, women who like to wear different things. They have to be wearing like the either ugliest thing or they have to be wearing something that makes them look like heartless, which yeah. it just isn't the case, right? Right. And, and it's a, it's a discussion that, so I have a really good group of, and I recommend this no matter what you're doing, whether it's in high school or later, always have a really good peer group, like pay really close attention to the people that you surround yourself with, because you will always become more like them, right? You, you want to make sure that the influences you have in your life, um, which your friends are a huge one of them are, are people that reflect who you want to be. And I have a really great peer group of female CEOs and female founders, and we all hang out a lot. Once a month, we do we do a clothing swap and tea party, because why not? Um, oh, I guess we could all go golf together. That might be more appropriate. Um, but so we we get together and we'll talk about these things. And some of the like different women take different approaches. So I also want to say that everybody gets to pick their approach. Uh, my approach is I'm full on girly. There are pros and cons to that, right? Another approach that a, a lot of female CEOs take on is they will purposefully dress down for meetings um, in order to be taken seriously. Like they're like, hey, I don't want people to feel like I was invited because of my looks or because of any of these things. I wanna make sure people know that I'm here purely on merit um and so they will they will change how they look in order to get a different reaction from people and it's hard i mean it's a really hard choice like i don't think that the world or the stereotypes in our heads have caught up yet um so it's it's you know it's a it's a lose-lose situation but it's also a win-win situation you can just kind of do what you want yeah touching back on that i know a lot especially in like our lives we do a lot of male-dominated clubs <clears throat> for example, like we don't like debate MUN and after a while you stop noticing that, oh, we're in a room full of like men who are all very loud and it's like little things that you do to like change how people perceive you. For example, and I know a lot of women deepen their voice when they're talking. I do this too a lot. We're talking to like, a room of men. So you seem more professional and like out there. It's really inspiring to see you be able to have like a really feminine look and a feminine like overall appearance and still get taken seriously. So how'd you say you were able to like make that jump into, oh, I'm going to be completely feminine and I'm not going to let these men judge me. Like what gave you the confidence to be able to do that? I think it, it wasn't just confidence. Part of it was also, I know the limitations of my own brain. Like I was like, if I have to put the cognitive load that it takes for me to change my underlying personality for someone else, that is taking brain power away from me just actually being present in the moment like able to process information and people will say oh my gosh that was you know really brilliant how you piece those things together and if i had been sitting there thinking about okay am i making sure to talk loud enough am i making sure to not present as too girly am i making sure um you know all of these things i i, I think it would be very distracting and so i think it would detract from a lot of my better traits if i was trying to present other ones um, so for me, it's just, I just lean hard into it and 
you know, having a technical degree helps, right? So many times I'll introduce myself to people and I'll be like, hi, I'm Rachel, um, PhD in mechanical engineering. And they'll say, oh, I wouldn't have thought that you were a mechanical engineer. And I'm like, what you don't realize is that was incredibly sexist Is that I mean, I won't say that, but I'll just be like, cool. Well, you know, mechanical engineers all look different. <laughs> like, what kind of comment is that? Like I get people will mean those sorts of things as compliments and it's, it's not, it's really not. Um, I mean, like, I don't know. I feel, I feel like everyone has an image of what certain people look like in their heads. And I think it's hard to break those boundaries, but it's nice to see, like, honestly, everyone we've interviewed, like they're all breaking those boundaries in some way or another. So it's happening a lot. And then, um, Emily Calandrelli, she did Emily's Wonder Lab um, on Netflix, and she does a lot of science communication. She is like the epitome of fully herself, like eyelash extensions and all, and a MIT aeroastro engineer who is hyper competent, right? And so it's not it's not like there's just onesies and twosies of us. I think that it gives me so much hope for your guys's generation that there are so many more like there were when i was your guys's age i didn't come across any women running tech companies i only pictured zuckerberg right like that's the kind of person who runs a tech company i didn't realize that that there were women running tech companies only 20 i think it's 22 or 23 companies have ipo'd with a female ceo out of the like over 300 that ipo each year so 23 ever and there are over 300 per year. Like it is, the numbers are atrocious, absolutely atrocious, but I'm hoping in the next decade we'll, we'll start to tip the scales. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's really interesting. Um, switching gears a little bit, what would you say is like the most rewarding part of your job? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, there's two parts. I, you know, earlier when I was talking about find that thing that you're obsessed with, I am actually deeply obsessed with the problem that we solve and the vision that we have for the future, right? I, when I describe to people what we do and how we make, you know, spatial data actually accessible to non-technical users to where anybody can be using drone and satellite and IoT data, you know, seamlessly, I get genuinely excited. Um, but the, the real, truly most fulfilling part is my team. So before you run a company or run a really large team, a lot of times you've ended up in the position where you have the, you know, the ability to lead that team. You've done a lot of things really well yourself, right? You are really good at communication or really good at, you know, engineering or really good at, you know, whatever it is, you're good at all these things. And then you reach a point where suddenly your team is so big you don't do any of those things yourself anymore. Um, and so for me, what's been so incredible is getting to watch my team do these amazing things. And I love them so much. Like now when I like sit there at the end of the day, feeling proud or worried or excited or nervous, it's all about things about my team. Um, and on Fridays, so today's, today's Friday, we had Demo Friday, which is basically the grown-up version of show and tell. And everybody brings stuff that they've been working on all week and shows it to the rest of the team. And it's one of my favorite days because everybody shows up and shows this stuff. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. Like we had this like 
this thing that we decided to do like a month ago and now suddenly it's real and tangible and it happened and like knowing I had no part in it makes me so proud because all the people on my team are just so competent uh, and extraordinary and I feel all the time really um, like really grateful that they're willing to spend their days working on you know the same vision of the future that I am. Yeah, I mean, like, I can definitely imagine. I feel like ju judging on what you're telling us, the workspace you're kind of fostering and other people on your team are fostering is probably a very positive one. I definitely think that, like, factors in. I know that in schools, there's this big argument that, like, schools need to be teaching in, like, very positive growth mindsets. And I think that's really important for, like, learning and generally speaking. Do you, like, do you preach the growth mindset mentality? Oh, absolutely. And actually, our company publishes our values on our website. And one at like, we have specific values around, you know, our company exists to help the people on our team grow. And we make specific decisions specifically around that. And when we hire people, two of the, you know, two of the qualities that we hire for are, you know, are they, do they have what Stanford calls intellectual vitality? Are they like deeply curious and want to learn things and care about learning new things? And are they a good collaborator? Which means like we accept from day one that people won't know everything they need to know. And that's totally fine. Um, and so, yeah, I think a growth mindset is incredibly important and helps dissolve the egos that I think set people behind. Um, because once you have a growth mindset, you're not phased by saying, hey, I don't know how to do this because it's okay to not know. Jumping off that, I know we only have 10 minutes left in the Zoom, but I just have a couple more things. So I know that you were on Forbes under 30 because that's what I found when I was looking <laughs> looking up your information. Um, Fiber stacking is necessary for your job. It's okay. Yeah, yeah you know, I just want to see who you are. But um, I know that's a very big accomplishment. So if you want to tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so Forbes 30 under 30 is... Uh, an award that they give for people who are under 30 who are doing things that they think are important. Um, and so, yeah, so I was on Forbes 30 Under 30 2019, I believe. Well, it was the class of 2020, which I think means they announced it in 2019. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's a lot of fun. And and the, the cohort that I was in was really fun because I hang out with a bunch of tech people and Forbes 30 under 30 is in a bunch of different categories. So I got to hang out with extraordinary poets and artists and activists and scientists and people I would never come across. Um, so it was really, really fun to get to meet young, extraordinary people in other industries. Yeah, um, as a final wrapping up question, what would you say is your like most important advice that you would give to not like women and entrepreneurs and like people in general? Yeah, um, one is a piece of advice my mom always gave me, which is, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And what she meant by that was always, you can't be an expert in everything. And so you should always, you know, get to know other people and feel open with asking them questions. Like I've never run a podcast before. So I might be like, hey guys, what was that like? Can you tell me about it? And not feeling shy about asking people to impart their, I mean, exactly what you guys are doing asking people to impart their wisdom on you, right? Um, so I remind myself that all the time is like, oh, I could go reinvent this wheel or I could just go talk to that person who's done it and and gather those ideas. So that's the first one is, is to do that. Um, we talked a little bit about the superpowers earlier. I would say that having that level of self-reflection is very important. 
um, but it's very hard. The way I think about it is two time horizons. Um, so if you've ever been backpacking or on a really long hiking trip, you'll be able to see the top of the mountain that you're headed to and maybe the next hundred yards. And that's the best way to think about life. I think a lot of the time have things that you really care about and know what you like to do day to day. And then, you know, try to find ways to, to match those up. But the really tactical one, and this is especially um, for young people and especially for women, is knowing how to introduce yourself. So a lot of times we'll be like, oh, hi, you know, who are you? And being able to introduce yourself really well in about a minute or two minutes is not something that you can just do on the fly. I actually recommend, you know, writing bullet points and practicing introducing yourself. So you can walk up to someone and be like, hi, I'm Rachel. I'm the founder and CEO of Geosite. I have a PhD in mechanical engineering, but I actually did a lot of research on organizational theory. And I typically sit at the intersection of national security and technology, right? And that gives people like a firm grasp of like, oh, that's what Rachel does in like 20 seconds. And then people can ask follow-up questions in there. Um, so I highly, highly, highly recommend learning to introduce yourself. Yeah, definitely. I think that's an important skill. I feel like, honestly, we always hear about the first impression, right? But like, no one really tells you how to make a good one. They're just like, just do it. You'll be fine. Just do it. <laughs> you don't really know how to do that, so. I wrote a little Twitter rant on this once where I was like, this is how you do this. Cause I did it wrong and I got called out by someone um, because they said I came off as flippant. And I was like, never in my life have I thought of myself as flippant. Um, so don't, don't make that mistake. Well, now we won't, we have advice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, overall, like I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Um, Tommy, do you have any final notes? Um, yeah, it was really interesting and inspiring to hear your story and how you like navigated through this tech field. It's something that, something that we often didn't think about, like geospa geospatial things, like the whole industry, but it's really interesting to hear about it from a person who's actually started a company about it. Yeah, thanks. Well, thanks for having me, guys. All right. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Let's Break It Down. Tune in every Sunday to listen to more episodes. Check us out on Spotify, Anchor, and many more platforms. Check out our Instagram at Let's Break It Down Podcast for more information. Thank you.